Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Chad McLean, and today my guest is Michael Crichton, the founder of Team MFP. Highlights from this episode, we discuss why strength conditioning coaches must know how to coach speed and agility for athletes, Mark's top three tips to crush your next interview, key mindset traits from world-class athletes, and why universities need to change their models to help develop the next generation of strength conditioning coaches. People mentioned Rob Jackson, Warren Young, Drew Cormack, John Quinn, Alex Corbo. Before we start this episode, for those coaches wanting to learn how to create an online coaching successful business and make an impact in elite sport, then our Coaches Academy is for you. Get access to our step-by-step roadmap to launching your own online coaching business, an extensive training library and exclusive discounts and tools. You'll also become part of our active and supportive community filled with strength conditioning coaches from all over the world who can help you along your coaching journey with practical feedback, support, and advice. All of this and more make our academy the number one place to be for a strength conditioning coach wanting to start, manage, and grow a successful coaching business. Head to preparelikeaproacademy.com.au to get started today. Let's get into today's episode with Mike Crichton. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back on, Mike. Thanks for jumping on. Amazing, mate. Thanks for that intro. Just clear up a couple of things. I didn't work full-time at all those places, but I was invested in uh, my career as a coach at some of those organizations. So you may not have seen me there full time, but um, I definitely uh, was influenced by the guys running those programs and involved in um, some really cool opportunities to see them in, in all of their glory. But uh, it would be nice to say that that my, was my complete resume, but uh, um, you know, it is what it is in this industry. We're always out there doing internships and uh, opportunities with observational work and connecting and networking with the best is the way to learn. So, uh, yeah. 100%. No, well said, mate. And it's... um, Sorry, I've been fortunate to be able to go to some amazing places and and work and see um, some of the best coaches in in the country. Yeah, and and that's part of um, why we want to have you on, mate, Like, is to to share that journey for for developing strength and conditioning coaches, whether they want to work in elite sport, semi-professional sport, professional sport or, or private sector, you, you've worked in them all. And, and like you said, you've got to put in your time. So no doubt we'll, we'll spend some time with all those chapters uh, of those elite clubs as well, as well as some time in the private sector. But take us, take us back to the very beginning. At, at what age did you discover you had a passion for the industry of fitness? Yeah. Conditioning? The, the first time when it really hit me was 15 years old playing footy uh, at the time. I was... Kiwi in Australia, so I transitioned into playing AFL footy. And I just felt like I wasn't able to be, be my best athletic self. And so I ended up signing up to a local gym. Mm-hmm. And I started my journey by uh, just training in a gym. Um, there was a guy there. He did some bodybuilding training. Um, he was an older guy from the school, Cade Merlo, his name was actually, uh, come, comes to mind. But, and I used to just copy him and like we'd go in each day. One day I bench pressed 60 kilos. Next day I come in and told someone I could bench 60, put 60 on the bar and I go to bench it. And then I couldn't actually get the rep back up because I didn't understand what fatigue was, what DOMS was, what um, actual training was all about and thought you could just do the same thing day in, day out. So um, from that moment, it sort of lit a light bulb in me when I had to let weights fall off the bar onto the ground, (laughs) almost knocking another uh, guy in the gym training. Um, that there's a lot more to this than I think of just coming in and throwing down with some weights. And that's when the, the fire was lit. And uh, I really got a taste for the gym environment and wanting to train and work with athletes. Um, and that's when I sort of decided that I was going to go to university to study uh, human movement, and exercise science at Ballarat, start the journey to become a strength and conditioning or now, as we like to term it, athletic performance coach. Mm-hmm. Um, because I felt like that was definitely something I could do for the rest of my life. I was like, I could live and breathe and be in a gym. Um, that's me. That's who I am. And to this day, I, I kind of think that that's still me. 
and hopefully for many more years to come, I think it will be as well. So, yeah, that was the path. That was the light bulb moment. Uh, I was a decent athlete. Wasn't going to make it to the top, top, but knew that I had an interest in working in sports um, and then figured out that there was a, a way to work in the physical side from that moment. Awesome, mate. Now, thanks for sharing that. That would resonate, I reckon, with a, a fair few coaches, um, the, yeah, the, the humble experiencing of, of doms for the first time. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, you, you mentioned sort of a bit of copycat and, and practising methods um, through, through seeing. While you're at university, what, what were some experiences that you look back on fondly in terms of cutting your teeth as a coach? Yeah, I was pretty fortunate, uh, or not fortunate. I was actually one of these people that got to university and uh, my first six months of university was all about the, just being free and enjoying university life. But mm-hmm. after that first six months, I failed one subject. I decided I'm actually pretty studious. That's not me. Let's get after it. Let's find out what we can do. So I got a gym job as soon as I could. Um, I was harassing the lecturers, Ray Breed and Warren Young. So two guys that um, sort of helped shape me through university, uh, getting involved in many uh, projects at universities, down in the science labs, um, out on the field, trying to get as much experience and knowledge as I could from the people at that environment. Fortunately, then led me to get a job, at, which not many people know about, North Ballarat Roosters VFL Club. I was the strength coach. We won three premierships back to back to back. I can tell you now it wasn't because of my program. Uh, each year in the program, I got uh, more opportunities. So then I got to do um, some speed and agility. So I was in charge of that in my second year. That led into my, in the next year. And then also doing some of the um, basic rehab stuff for guys mm-hmm. with hamstrings, um, strains, and like small uh, three or four week injuries, um, like you know, shoulder pain and things like this. So I got to work with the physios as well um, in that part of my role. And obviously that got me really excited about wanting to be a professional SNC or athletic performance coach because I'd had that exposure at a successful organization, winning three premierships. Um, and, you know, being close to the AFL thinking I was ready, but then realizing quickly that um, there's still so much to learn. And that's sort of like one of the best things about university uh, although I think the curriculum needs a wake up and I think we need a shake up when it comes to the practical stuff that's coming out of universities. Um, and I'm big on really trying to change that. I think there's a, there's a missing link between what we're doing now in the real world setting and what's coming out of university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's obviously evident by a lot of the internships, mentorships and opportunities that um, are presented for places like myself and uh, other private industry facilities is that university students need more time in the practical stuff and a little less time on some of the theory that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the best thing about my university experience and that starting point was as much exposure to as many different realms as I could. So I did research projects on stuff that I wasn't that interested in mm-hmm. and it gave me exposure to it, VO2 max testing, blood lactates, um, all of that stuff. We did a caffeine study assistant stuff where we took caffeine and, and looked at different elements of how that affects your mental performance. Um, it was really, really cool because that's what comes back later on. But I think also the practical, theoretical side of it was something that I just sort of try to get as much exposure to as quickly as possible um, and took on as many different opportunities as I could to learn. Yeah, you brought up a good point there. And it's, it's, um, it's one that I'd probably sit on the fence, but I'd be interested to hear your uh, opinion on it, especially in running, running a facility. So how, how much of it is on the student? So like you said, you went out of your way to get that experience. Um, and, and how much is it on the universities? Because I guess there's, yeah, where, where do you reckon it sits? Is it, is it yeah. are the best coaches going to be the best coaches because they're going to put in extra? Or do you think it, there's some responsibility where unis do need to, like you said, shake it up a little bit and, and put some, yeah. I guess there's a, there's a placement, but do they need to do more? And I'll yeah. some toes here because I've actually lectured at universities. So I have exposure to the lecturing side of it. And we've now gone into this really bad competency-based learning model at a university level where you mm. basically find it impossible. You're trying to find it impossible to fail students. 
because they want to get them through to get the money and the funding. And at the end of the day, it's about getting students passing units to get paid a lot of the time. And I know there's also like if you fail subjects, you like because pass rates of your units looks really good as lecturers and things and people running units. But actual way that we're actually uh, testing, um, I guess, testing and assessing the students is gone more to a competency-based learning system than just straight like um, your uh, practical knowledge. And I'm talking about the practical stuff because that's where I've had the most. Theoretically, mm-hmm. obviously, you've still got to pass all your theoretical tests, but I'm assuming a lot more online or open book, which then obviously is that's the real world anyway. So that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing because the information's out there. I have mm-hmm. all the information I need in the palm of my hand daily, anything that I want. So mm-hmm. allowing me to use that skill set and have the um, skill sets go find that info is great. But when it comes to practical skill sets, you can't fake that. And I think mm-hmm. that's where we're going wrong. And it's very rushed. So we're trying to learn some stuff really quickly that's technical and then hopefully expecting people to be able to go out and be pr- really proficient at it instead of spending more time on it. Um, and, and some of the stuff that we need uh, coaches to come out of university with to influence straight away now, like speed agility training, it's very technical. You can't get proficient at that fast and you can't have one exposure to it and hope that they're going to be good at it or assess them on it. But that's such a critical skill now. It's one of the mm-hmm. big, big things that we look for as a coach. You cannot be a strength and conditioning athletic performance coach without having skills to coach speed agility. You just won't, you won't last an industry. There are some specialist strength coaches who are just good at the lifts and they get athletes in just for lifting. Great. But the full kit and caboodle needs uh, people that have the skill sets in speed agility training. Mental mindset, skills, nutrition. Um, you know, we have to tick so many more boxes. Rehabilitation. Uh, it, it comes back to then getting more exposure to the key skills that you're going to need. So I think we're, we're dropping the ball when it comes to how we're educating prospective coaches with our practical skill sets at, at that level. Um, mm-hmm. And they t- got to tick boxes, right? Curriculum at universities is ticking boxes. Um, to pass courses because it's curriculum-based learning. So they have all these other things that they have to learn and how much of it is actually going to be used by a lot of these people once they get out of university. Mm. Yeah, no, well said, mate. Well said. And and going back to your your career progression, you mentioned after three years um, the thought, and I reckon we've all had this, but three years is still a significant amount of time, uh, especially we've had a lot of success that, okay, next step's going to be an AFL club. So, There'd be no doubt some some coaches that might be year two into that phase and they've got those thoughts as well and they're full of confidence. So, but how did you start to recognize? Was it interviewing in other jobs that you didn't get? Was it speaking to uh, older, more experienced practitioners? How did you start to recognize, geez, there's a lot of good, more experienced practitioners out there and I've got to still continue to strengthen myself as a coach and get more experience? Yeah, exactly. That I then moved to Melbourne to take up the VIS uh, one year internship. Yep. And then was able to be a uh, coach or an organ- uh, obviously, <coughs> sorry, a system that's different to just one team, right? A, a holistic system with multitude of athletes for a multitude of different sports um, with senior staff in different roles to oversee the programs of these different sports and open up to new sports because there's a lot more out there once you start looking left and right rather than just staying narrow on one focus. So getting that role and... I was doing research out at Essendon Footy Club with Stu Cormack and then been able to go down and see what was happening at the next level and see what a professional program was and getting that little bit of exposure there. And there's a, just noticing the difference from what I was doing and exposed to at the VFL level, um, even to the next level at AFL and what they were able to do. And I think that's just the nature of the beast. Like you've got semi-pro versus full-time athletes. Um, some of the guys might be as skillful as the others, but they just don't have the time to invest in the physical side of it. So you can't actually develop the athlete the same way. You don't have Mm. time to work on different elements of programming. They had a pretty cool program down there at the time. Um, So I I got to learn some cool stuff just from being down involved in the research I was doing, but I was also able to shadow sessions um, down there. So it worked really well. I also got to spend time with John Quinn down there before actually so the that was the two that i got to see so 
Um, yeah, great practitioners. What was the research? Uh, we looked at jump squat variables and sprint performance of AFL footballers. So I'm, I'm on that pub paper. Um, yeah, I think I've seen it. Published order yeah. author, but um, yeah, I was meant to write the thesis, but I never did because that's not me. I'm not research. So got yeah. the, I, I got, got the experience. Pushed, <laughs> I got pushed a third on the list instead of being at the top, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, is that how it works? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be the one to actually write the whole thesis article and everything. And I decided that that just wasn't for me. But that's all right. Yeah. That's, that's all part of the process. Not everything. 100%. Um, yeah. I didn't spend six months trying to do something that I didn't want to do. So I moved on to the next thing. Um, and then that's where getting the exposure to other sports, I was like, oh, there's a lot more out here. I need to go learn. I need to go spend time at different sports with different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Open my eyes up to more out there. Um, and then I guess the next part of the story or whatever it may be was just a little bit sad is I was so close to getting that next job, the assistant role at the top level, but mm-hmm. missing out like five times because someone knew someone or I you know, personally would have thought oh, I was better than them at the time or someone I saw hired someone at the top and it's just the nature of the beast and, that, and it made me realize how important your network is. The mm-hmm. people you know, um, and the people you surround yourself with to get to those levels at, at the right time. Because you can have two people that are equally as good and there are many of us that are equally as good everywhere. But if I know this person and they know me through whatever relationship that may be, I'm probably going to get that job. Mm. So it really comes back to um, networking as well. And it really opened my eyes up to like being able to network, communicate and, and um, have relationships with people that are in positions uh, that you want to achieve to, to make it. So, yeah, um, that was that part. And then we left. I left, the, I left chasing that goal and found the private industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've sunk my teeth in the private industry ever since. And, um, yeah, it's, it's now my passion. It's, it's, um, it's where I want to be. And that's sort of where the next steps are in IC, in our industry, and, and the uptake of and the caliber of athletes that we are seeing come into facilities like ours around the country um, and the opportunities that present themselves for coaches and mm-hmm. businesses to establish brands as athletic performance training companies. And I think um, it's pretty exciting because, um, you know, having elite athletes come through your facility or trying to help athletes become elite um, it is really, really uh, invigorating and inspiring because you get the best of both worlds. Absolutely. Hey there, hope you're enjoying this episode with Mike Crichton. We're just going to take a quick break to hear a snippet of our interview with the great John Quinn. Biggest thing you look for in a good player. So if we reframe that into, you know, developing players, what what do you try and look for and how do you know, oh yeah, that guy's going somewhere um, or does it vary too much? Oh, no, no, it doesn't vary. I think you look for the underlying things. You can't coach attitude. And uh, you look for how, how hungry are they and despite setbacks that they have, uh, how, how eager are they to push through? You know, we just talked about James Hurd. None of that would have been possible without his uh, overwhelming Drive, enthusiasm yeah. to, get the, to get the job done. Uh, you, you're not just elite in outcome. You're elite in action and actions, how you prepare and what you do to get there. You can't be a part-time elite athlete. You are either in or you're not. So I look for that mindset within the individual. To hear more from John Quinn, make sure to scroll to episode 40 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Now back to the rest of the episode with Mike Crichton. Hope you enjoy. You mentioned the importance of trying different things early on in your career, whether it be um, you know, studying, uh, applying practice at, at state league um, teams, going into different sports, going into research, even if you're not passionate about it, but just to take yourself out of your comfort zone. So for a coach that's in that early stage, maybe they're doing their Bachelor of Sports Science, um, doing their Masters, or they're, they're cutting their teeth in a program, uh, how do you get that balance right? Like how many hats would, would you have worn at one time? You know, you're spending time at Essendon, were you working at BIS, were you doing a bit of PT? Talk us through sort of how do you yeah. get the balance right of making money while also climbing a ladder and then finishing your degree as well. I guess this is where the balance is gone though. So um, time management and work ethic really, it comes down to like what do you want to achieve and where do you want to be? And it's, it's like anything. 
it, it's competitive out there. And those that are willing to put in the time, effort and energy um, and have that strong drive and willpower will be the ones that sort of succeed in the long run because um, it's not easy at the start. You do have to wear a lot of hats and you do have to take up a lot of small opportunities to get the right one that will come eventually. Um, and look, you know, it's still now, like even at the top, like we're still developing concepts, ideas and, and growth for the business to get it to, to the next level. Um, so it's never ending. You need more hats uh, than you think. And I think it's okay to be a bit more of a jack of all trades, dare I say it, rather than specialist in one area. Yes, some people can be specialists and there are opportunities to be specialists, but I think you've got to go and expose yourself to a lot of different facets of what we do and find where you want to be and spend most of your time because there's a lot of opportunities. Um, and the, ones, the, the, more, the quicker you can get involved in it, and find your place and start opening up the network of doors, the better off you'll be in the long run. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned um, something that I think is um, good advice for anyone that's um, trying to find their way in, in an industry. You, you know, once you felt that your passion wasn't on that research page, paper to do another six months on it, you moved on to the next thing. So uh, how, how did you go about that decision? Did you lead on a mentor um, did you, was it a gut instinct? Talk yep. us through that, making that decision. Cause I imagine it wouldn't have been an easy one, um, with the work you'd already done at that point. But, um, yeah, I think, I think this, this comes back to just all around business and opportunities. Like no one, not many people have an easy story. If you speak to successful people or, or people at the top somewhere or people that are, are, are getting there. It's rare that people have an easy story. A lot of the people are people who have had hard times. They've started businesses before that have failed. Um, they've done stuff before that didn't work. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, trial and error along the way, and that's what life is. It's about experiences. Exposing mm-hmm. yourself to the experiences of life to help evolve you as a person and human to then gravitate to where you want to be. So, yeah, I, I, I quit and failed um, my thesis thesis and an honors year but it was a great learning experience and opportunity something that sort of like then set me up for the future for what i wanted to do we know to get a master's you still got to have the ability to read and utilize research can't pass those um the coursework associated with it so if i hadn't have done that i wouldn't have been as, as well versed to get through that part of my journey so i think it's just an important part of living mm-hmm. trial and error failures and success um, and exposing yourself to things, you know, going back now and learning new skills, like the age old saying is never too young to learn something. It's, it's important to constantly be looking to evolve as a person, human and whatever that is. And you'll do stuff that you don't realize how that actually then helps you as, as a coach or as a, as a communicator or put you outside of your comfort zone, but you, you'll find other avenues that will assist you with what you're trying to achieve later on. So I think it's important just to expose yourself to a lot of opportunities in life, no matter what it is. Like mentioned in the intro, um, there was a good range of, of different sports, different experiences. So clearly you had a, a good ability of, um, of putting yourself out there and, and, and getting opportunities during the you know, interview processes and, and you know, there would have been a whole host of competition for those positions. For coaches that uh, have had some setbacks, um, what are some of the most important things that you think going into interview preparation um, is like, what are your, sort of your top three tips for preparing yourself to be successful or putting yeah. your best foot forward, I guess? Good one. Um, I, think, I think one thing that just goes without saying is just natural confidence. Um, and I think with our industry, like one thing that you can do that, doesn't matter how much you know or don't know is you can actually expose yourself to what we do. We, you can go train. You can go put time into the gym. You can go mm. put time on the track. You can, go, uh, you can go buy a coach, buy a program, train at a facility, train with other people. So I think like having confidence in having knowing what athletes actually go through, no matter like when you're getting to job interviews, you've had three to four years at university before that. It's a great opportunity to expose yourself to the industry from the athlete side 
that when you get to these interviews, you're going to feel a lot more confident in expressing yourself about your passions for it. A lot of time when you're young and you're trying to get in somewhere or a job, it's actually you as a person that will get the job, not your knowledge. So if you um, can showcase that you live and breathe this lifestyle, then I think it's going to help you a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Something that I see and, and like gravitate towards instantly when I have interviews from young coaches coming through our facility in the past, something I can't harp on enough because it's such a simple thing. It's a choice that you can go and make for yourself. So that's one big one. Yeah, I think um, it's okay to practice talking to yourself or talking out loud about stuff that might come up in, in an interview. And that sounds a bit cliche, I guess, but practicing, practicing the event of, of interviewing, uh, speaking into a mirror, speaking into a microphone, a computer, a Zoom, whatever it may be, get someone to get, just get, make a list of five to 10 of the key questions. If you go on Google, type in common interview questions, you'll find 10, give it to someone, get them to ask you, practice in being interviewed. Um, it's about getting your personality out there a lot of the times. You know, when it comes down to the nitty gritty of your knowledge and base, like that, that, will, t- that will evolve over time. But you, know, you want to get your personality across as much as you can. The last one is making sure you know something about the people in the room or the organization. It's really important to, yeah, it's a good one. to do a little bit of research into the um, place you're going and the people that might be there. Because if you can at any moment refer back to something about them or the, the environment, they're going to be onto it like Bob. This person's keen. They're, they're interested in being here. And again, it shows that you're invested in, in this industry. Awesome, mate. Well done. That was a little uh, impromptu question and you just nailed it straight off the cuff. <laughs> Probably one of my special skills, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, oh. yeah, that's awesome. Going back to uh, your career journey, so you mentioned Stu Cormack, Mike Young, so some, some big names in the industry, that building relationships with, with mentors, those you look up to. Um, how do you go about sort of um, developing those relationships? You mentioned it, you know, midway through your career, you recognise how important networks are when you, you feel that you, you know, you're up against um, coaches that you've got just as much experience with, but you're getting knockback jobs. So you need yeah. to build a, that network base uh, for coaches that, have, that um, have that same sort of goal in mind at the moment. What, what are some of your favourite ways to develop your network, I guess, in a uh, professional manner as well um, yeah, that's think- sustainable? A real simple one to start now is, is like coach workshops events. It's like a, a really great place to start. Uh, it, it's really casual, brings it, the environments down. Uh, and normally the place you go to, they're willing to go above and beyond after you've been there and paid your money to assist mm. you. So if you show something in that environment, um, they're going to go above and beyond if you ask them a question later and remember you as a person because you've invested in their company. So I think that's a really simple, easy one, um, a little bit of the investment there. Trying to get exposure to like the best people in our industry is you've got to look at where they are. And there are some really high-level coaches that present at events and or they um, help run workshops for ASCA and things too. So going to those events and workshops, you can then network with the best coaches in the industry. And they're there and they're going to be a bit more of an open book in that environment rather than just like sliding in their DM, hitting them on LinkedIn um, and spamming them with, with messages and emails. If you do do that though, which is not a bad thing, make sure that you construct your sentence as well and you actually come in with something meaningful and not just say, oh, I want to see if I can use your time mm. because they don't have much time and they don't want to give it to everyone. So if you come in just asking them, oh, can I ask you some questions? It's not going to be, uh, you're probably going to get left on red or, you know, they're so busy. Uh, there's a lot of this stuff coming their way. They, a lot of elite organizations have relationships with unis and things too. So you have to stand out and come in with something meaningful and really well-constructed sentences if you want to cold call to the top guys. But the easy way is just go invest a little bit of money into these events and workshops that they're presenting at you get an open book, they're, they're more susceptible to, to network and communicate with you at those events because you've now given them some money. So um, as much as that's not the only way, it, it, it's a nice, simple way. And I think just leverage off the universities when you're there. 
leverage off the people at the universities because they have contacts. A lot of unions have great contacts nowadays and people they can reach out through. And if you harass the universities to go after these things, that's okay because you, you're, you're paying them. So I definitely think you've got to just put yourself out there in those environments. Awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing, mate. That's a great insight. And um, are there any mentors or strong influences in your career that you haven't mentioned today before we move on to um, your next step, which, as you mentioned, was the private sector? Yeah, look, I think when I reflect back, initially Warren Young, Ray Breed at university, first two guys came to mind. Um, Stu Cormack with the research and John Quinn, I, I sort of was, he was one person I was harassing a little bit, Mr. John Quinn. So I did spend a bit of time harassing him um, at, on his last, last days at Essendon before he left off um, and went to the Giants up that way. So um, spent some time harassing those guys and, and they were really good. And then I was lucky when I was working at ESS Performance to get exposed to Alex Corbo um, at the Melbourne Storm. And when you know, they've had sustained success and his program still was bleeding over for the years to come that he was setting up because the guy who was under him came up to the top. So um, I got to spend a lot of time asking him some questions. Uh, and then Rob Jackson at the Melbourne Demons at the time. Those guys were sort of good key, key influential guys at, at the higher level um, that I sort of like got to pick their brains, ask questions and spend time with. So very thankful for that. And then just like my colleagues over the years, the people that you spend the most time with, the people in the trenches with you, mm-hmm. the people that, you know, you're bouncing all the ideas while I was talking about all the stuff to daily, like our team right now, it's like, a constant evolution of finding the information to share with others that we think could be useful or beneficial. So the people that you surround yourself with the most are those people who you're, you know, you're, you're growing up with in the industry. And um, yeah, it's cool to speak to the high level guys and what, seeing what they're doing, but where the real grunt work is, where the real development is, is with the people you spend the most time with and that's your colleagues on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I think I've been fortunate to have some really cool people that I've worked with um, really, really driven and inspiring people in terms of their own career and development. And that's led me to then continually evolve uh, as a coach over the years. Uh, and even now, you know, you asked me five years ago how good my system was, I'd say amazing. You get this system that we've got right now up against Coach Mike of five years ago. The athletes of Coach, five, Coach Mike five years ago are getting crushed by the athletes of the Team MFP system that we've developed now. And I guarantee you in five years' time again, the athletes on the old coach uh, team MFP system are going to get crushed by the athletes on the next level of the team MFP system. It's just we, uh, our field is growing so much. Uh, you can't stop. <laughs> the learning, it, it, it's, it's continually evolving. Mm, man, uh, that resonates with me. It feels that way. It, you just... There's, there's so much growth to be had and, uh, and like we are talking off air before, the, the power of social media now as well where you can see behind the scenes of, of people, what they do in their preparation during sessions, um, cool downs and all their different uh, philosophies. It, it's, it's a good time to be a coach. You've got to have a pretty good filter, but um, yeah. we've got lots of access <laughs> to uh, information yeah, now. Dr. Seed spins, I tell you, and the other yeah. guy there, um something athletics do that just makes a new exercise every day for no reason. <laughs> yeah, there's some creatives out there. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. Private sector. Let, let's, let's get into it. So what, where did you start in the private sector and, and what excited you about um, the opportunity to transfer over from working with professionals to over in the, in the private sector where you've got to start to learn some business skills and, and yeah, start working with um, private athletes and, and general pop. Yeah, big change. I think um, the best thing is the uh, variability because we can have on the floor a netballer, a hockey player, a lacrosse player, a footy player, a rugby player, a swimmer, an ultra-endurance athlete. We can have all of these people in the gym at the same time and all of them working towards their own individual goals but in our setting and, and team and culture. So I think the big thing that drew me was that variability um, and that was that slight exposure to the institute system at the BIS, mm. AIS that I was exposed to, see that. And so I was really excited by those ideas and concepts. And I think um, also junior athletes was one at the time that I was just like really driven to wanting to help young athletes succeed. 
and, and make and fulfill their potential. Um, and like, you know, it's only happened realistically a handful of times that, that the athlete has fulfilled the potential and, and got to the level that, I, you know, we all aspire like a pro contract or whatever it may be, or that debut game or um, that, you know, that world, world event that they competed in or something like that. It's not every athlete will. Mm. And that's okay. As long as you're, you're still um, mindful of not every athlete you coach will become a world champion or Australian level athlete or get that pro contract. But if you can still give them the same energy and effort, if they're giving that same energy and effort, I think that's what really drew me into the private sector to see if it's possible to do what we do to help an athlete improve their physical improve their physical attributes for a sports performance. And it is. This episode is powered by Swift High Performance Supplements. Swift is a supplement brand created by Australian sports scientists for athletes that demand the very best for their training and recovery. Recommended by dietitians, sports doctors, and high-performance coaches, Swift has established an industry-leading reputation for creating supplements with integrity and without compromise. Swift is proud to support Prepare Like a Pro and is giving listeners an exclusive 15% discount online using the code prep like a pro coaches and gym owners who listen to this podcast can also get access to the swift exclusive partnership program by emailing swift directly you mentioned uh, the importance of uh, you know learning speed and agility um when you when you move from the uh, i guess getting contracts uh at at big clubs to to now were, were you running your own business were you getting paid by the gym talk us through sort of the business sort of set up in the private sector yeah, so initially I was working um, in a gym, in a shed when we first started it uh, before we moved to what was GW Performance. Yep. Um, that was my uh, – sorry, I worked for a company before that, ESS Performance, which was like an institute model where they had athletes in on scholarship system set up, um, pay, paying students as well, and, and we ran that like it was sort of like a high school type system. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the business, I was employed, so I wasn't really exposed to it there. Then going to my next role at, at GW, I was involved a little bit more on the business side and helping develop the program, price points, um, running the structure of classes, sessions, coaching, developing the system and program. And mm-hmm. then from there, I got to a level where I felt like I could do it myself, which then led me to uh, move to the West and open up MFP. That was five years ago. What started out as more of a fitness, like a general fitness facility, I would say, had that feel to it, um, has evolved into a fully-fledged athletic performance and rehabilitation facility. And that's really down to the type of people that we've, we've um, got here now, like the coaching <laughs> team and, and the people that have stayed with us and just the evolution of the program over time. Um, and so the back end side of business just is we are constantly still evolving and to, you know, it, we are, I'm not a specialist in this field of, of running and developing businesses, but I'm definitely learning a lot about what it takes to, when it, when it comes to budgets, um, accounting, um, dealing with, and, and dealing with staff, putting stuff on, bringing the right people in, uh, facility management. Uh, cleanliness, all of the elements of running facilities that a lot of times you would have taken for granted when you were just employed mm. uh, and, and how much time and effort and energy goes into it. So it, it, it is quite a big thing. And the bigger you get, uh, the, the, more, the more time and energy that's required on running the actual back end of the company. I could go back a few years back, I would have told young, younger Coach Mike to – spend a bit more time learning about business systems and operations. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. And we, we talked about that a little bit earlier in terms of um, preparing modern day coaches and, and someone as a, uh, you know, when you're interviewing coaches now, you, you like to see how practically competent they are as a coach. Uh, do you think that's something that's going to start to, I mean, it's pretty demanding, I guess. There's only so much time that universities can equip young coaches, but do you think there's some business and put marketing in there that needs to be in there or no, do you think you leave that? Yeah, I think it needs to be separate. No chance. I think you've got to go off and like that should be an add-on. 
adjunct to to your degree and it would be something you would come back later to do I, I would expect or if you can find someone that has those skill sets you just go into business ideally yep. learn from them um it's going to be a lot more helpful I, i'd imagine or like what we're doing now and hiring the business mentors so getting the, mm-hmm. the companies behind you that know how to the ins and outs of running a business properly because uh, there's a lot more to it than just uh getting clients in and, and paying your coach Mm. to sort of understand and, and plan for. So, yeah, I think it'd be really hard to put into a the degree. It can be an add-on or something that you might add as like a summer units or for the students. Um, it's definitely an option, though, to develop it, co-align some sort of business mentorship program associated with uh, coaches that maybe want to do this. But I also think that if you're thinking about that as soon as you're at university, you're thinking about the wrong thing because mm. – you need to go out there and work for five years before you worry about trying to open or start your own facility. Yeah, learn the trade first. Yeah, go spend some time actually coaching and, and being a coach and working and learning from an organisation um, because you can learn a lot before you go down that path. Uh, I think but as a curriculum or something out there, I think we'll see over the next bit there'll be – there already are. There already are mm. business mentorship sort of stuff, programs happening at the moment. I think we'll see some more popping up. But how long have you guys started to to consult outside of the building? So it sounds like that you started with coaches and then you've brought on some, is it like consults or you're doing a course to upskill yourself in that area? No. So just like the constant evolution of what does the business need to succeed and, and to get to the next level. So um, be foolish not to listen and learn to what others are doing and then go, okay, we probably need to do that because we're missing X, Y, Z. So I, that's where your network is a powerful thing, where you're learning from, who's out, who's posting and what they're sharing and, and paying <laughs> attention because there's a lot of great information you can, you can get from people and just acknowledging that you won't know everything. Um, and if you're in the position to hire people that know more than you, it's at the right time, it's super important. And for the developing athletes that are listening in, um, what would be some of your key pillars when a new athlete walks into the, into the facility, Team MFP? Yeah, um, I think I wrote a couple of notes about a couple of key things to do with what athletes need to um, work on. And one of the big things that stuck out for me when I was going through that question was I think it'd be, it's really important um, for an athlete to uh, – to A, I just understand about mental and mindset training and the capabilities of the human mind because I feel like at the moment uh, the ability to stay on task um, and to do simple things well is a skill that a lot of young people don't have the capacity to do as much anymore. And I think it does come back a little bit to technology, social media and the fast-paced world that we're living in um, you know, with the scrolling and so forth and not being able to be attentive to simple little things. So um, I, it's definitely something that a lot of young athletes will need to be uh, acknowledging and parents potentially as well that um, learning to be mindful um, and, and to have some form of mindset uh, sort of training involved. And I think a lot of the times we link it back to breath, breath work and breathing and working mm-hmm. in. Um, gratitude journals and, and these things, I think that we're going to see that these, these things early on are going to be massive in the next five to 10 years. Um, it's, it's that attention, attention span, ability to absorb information and retain it and because that comes back to a lot of tactical and skill-based concepts that will be developed when you get to those next levels to have the capacities to work on those, those tools and to have the uh, mental aptitude to be able to actually correspond, you know, at those moments when it's needed. Because a lot of times you can be, there's a lot of good athletes that are hard workers that make it. There are a lot of really talented athletes that make it because of how talented they are, but they have a decent work ethic. Um, and I think over time we'll see there's more, the, the talent of athletes will continue to rise but the work ethic um, of the right athletes at the right time will push them up 
up the tree a little bit more because they're going to close the gap in some of the talent and skill stuff. So, yeah, that's just something I think if we can start to actually target it towards juniors rather than the top because a lot of time everything's targeted at the top and not then repackaged properly for the younger athletes. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I think we can, we can look into in the future. Um, the, the other big one when you, when you mentioned about junior young athletes that I wrote down was, and for parents too, is actually learning to train speed, agility, and running mechanics earlier than you think. Such a critical skill for a lot of sports, and I'm talking about sports that are on the feet, mm-hmm. um, mainly footy in this case because of the athletes you're working with that probably listening, is that you really need to take um, ownership on this and look into the development um, of your speed, agility, and running mechanics at a younger age than you think because having the ability to maneuver, um, change direction, maintain speed, accelerate, get away from a defender in a closed space in congestion, uh, break away on a lead are all game-changing attributes that um, we see at the top that athletes need to have. So if you can develop and harness those skills and then at the next layer of can you then perform your skill of your sport under fatigue and or at these higher speeds or in these positions that um, are not just uh, linear or easy, and mm. perform the skills to high standards in these positions too and transfer the both together, that's where you will excel as an athlete in football, in, in my opinion. Um, and it, it goes without saying, it's like high skill, high physical attributes, good work ethic um, goes together like anything. That's what success is all about. Um, you, like you mentioned uh, earlier, there's there's a whole range of, of different sports and athletes that are training your facility. Um, what's what's something that you've learned um, from the best of the best athletes? Uh, it doesn't have to be from a specific sport, but something that, that is really noticeable over your years as a coach that you've noticed that yeah, it doesn't matter what the sport, but you can see they're a high-performing athlete. Yeah, and uh, I think the big one is that they're always willing to learn and adapt great athletes, high-level athletes, they always, they're always willing to learn from others. They're always willing to take the time to expose themselves to opportunities to be better um, because they see and sense that there's information out there that they need from other people who are specialists in those areas that they can then harness and utilize. So I think they're all, uh, the best athletes are, are always like, you can just see that they're always willing to learn and then execute and do. So, They'll learn, listen, and then they'll execute and do. Um, and it's a big thing, like just your capacity to, to want to learn, first and foremost, and then your ability to actually retain and utilize the information that you are learning. Critical concept for a lot of the, the athletes. And it goes without saying, they've all got a little bit of spark or flair or something about them that just separates them from the normal athlete or the semi-pro. They're, they've got a little bit of a skill or... Um, ability to do something that others just can't and if you do have that it's about nurturing it and harnessing it and I think a lot of the elite athletes know they have something and they know how to use it so you know when you've got a little special power um, understanding what it is and how you use it I think that's what separates a lot of the elite from the semi-elite athletes Fantastic. Well said, mate. We'll, we'll dive into the uh, next section of the podcast, which is the get to know Mike, uh, coach Mike section. Or um, it's it's a bit of fun. These questions. So let's go. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's get into it. The first one: uh, which movie or, or TV series has impacted you the most, and why? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be S and C specific, I mean, of course. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Marvel, the cinematic universe of Marvel. Um, I've talked with, I've talked about that with people that many times. Um, and like just how impactful, like, I guess the ideas of superheroes and being good people are, Mm. um, how, how that relates back to what you do for others in the world, I think is something that's underlyingly amazing from a lot of those movies. And, um, you know, the, the saying, the good old saying of good guys win. But um, it's 
it's not without cost. So, you, you know, you're going to win if you do the right things, but sometimes it is going to be costly and what, it, what that may be. So be prepared for that. But, you know, being good uh, in this world goes a long way, I think, as a person and just like the overarching concepts of there are amazing people in the world out there doing amazing things and we should uplift and, and get behind them. Uh, I think there's something that as humans we naturally want to do. We want to follow people that are amazing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think they, they really package it well in that movie, in those movies. And favourite inspirational quote or life motto? I actually um, made one up myself recently um, and it, it, I, I love that it was um, a champion's mindset is forged from intense hard training that they put themselves into and are exposed to. And the champion is then made on the flip side from the people who support, surround them and build them up to be the best they can be. So just the ethos of team um, mm. and the ethos of your work ethic for me is just something massive that I sort of like strive to be um, and strive to be involved with. It's just like we call it Team MFP because we are a team. It's all of us. No one's bigger than anyone here. We all work together striving for greatness for the athletes that come and want to be a part of our facility. So. Um, team ethos, team culture, um, team environment is something for me that, that sort of reaches. And I think like you know, the champion mindset, like you, you listen to the Tom Brady's of the world and Michael Jordan's the LeBron James. It's like, it's just a lot of it is forged from what they do. Their mind mm-hmm. is so powerful from what they've exposed themselves to, to get to where they are. And then what about a, a day off? Uh, do you have a favorite way to, to spend a day off? Yeah, changes. Changes. I, I'm, I'm a cyclical person where I'll do different things. So more recently, I wanted to learn some new skills and started doing some gymnastics training and learning to backflip. Uh, that's, that's transitioned to a little bit of boxing. And then in the right time, some mountain biking. Um, whatever fun events, things are out there to go do, uh, I want to do a bit of action and uh, expose myself to some skill-based training out there. So I'm still doing something that's physical, but yeah. Exploring. Exploring the world, uh, exploring what's out there. A bit of surfing uh, when it was warm at Urban Surf, but. Oh, how good. I need to get better at that stuff. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's hard out in the ocean, but easy. it's easier up there. Uh, for sure. Consistent. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for jumping on, Mike. And uh, I know we had you on for the collaborative high-performance facility event, which you were fantastic to, to share your knowledge on there. But uh, even better to have you on and dive into your journey and, and share your story in the strength and conditioning. Like you said, there's uh, a long career ahead of you, but it was good to share um, the part that you've done so far for the industry. Um, you mentioned networking and it'd be remiss on me to not mention the group um, that you're managing on the Facebook group as well for strength and conditioning coaches that post, you know, you talk about workshops and events. Um, and then uh, we'll also talk about some places that people can find you and Team MFP. But in terms of the Facebook group for strength and conditioning coaches, uh, talk us through about how that group works and uh, the perks involved. Yeah, the Victorian Athletic Performance Coaches Group. Um it's, it wasn't started by me, but it's just been uh, recent. It's more the last year that I've sort of just been managing it. And it's a great place for people to be able to, I'm going to, I'm actually looking for a little change. So um, there are a lot of great coaches in there that do want, and they're doing some amazing things, but it's never been about sharing events and workspaces, mm. but I kind of look at a way that will allow people to share something. So a once a month post where everyone can post in the comments or something they can share to me before and I can post all of the events that are coming up. I'm looking at something that will allow people to expose people to what they're doing because be remiss not to try and help people in, in the space and let others know what others are doing. But it's essentially a great place to find out about roles, opportunities, jobs, and sometimes people uh, post up topics and things to, to learn about. So, um, I will, I will be looking at a few other cool things to do with that group. Um, it's just, it's a non-profit. So it's just something that 
we're just trying to manage the, the, the cool, amazing people that we have in it. Awesome, mate. Very good. And then, yeah, where is it for those that want to um, get in contact with you? Where's the best place? Yeah, Instagram at CokeMark underscore MFP or at Outfit Performance. Uh, they're the best spots to see what's happening. Got a great team. Go check them out. Some amazing content put out daily from our team. So, yeah, definitely get on Instagram and see what's happening uh, at Melbourne Fitness and Performance. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, mate. And yeah, we'll add all the links in the show notes, guys, for those listening in on the podcast. You might be walking the dog or, or driving. Um, don't worry. You can copy and paste from the show notes. And thank you for everyone that's tuned into this live YouTube show as well. If you had tuned in halfway through or three quarters through, make sure to tune in at the very start. Um, there was no mucking around. We dive straight into the good stuff and, and Mark's been providing gems all the way through for the last hour. So make sure to listen in. That will be on our YouTube channel and we'll post the, the podcast uh, next Tuesday as well. So stay tuned then for those that want to listen on the podcast. Our next Prepare Like a Pro live chat show will be with AFLW Athletes on May 20th at 1pm. The link will be on our Instagram channel so you can head over there. Thank you for everyone tuning in. I'll see you guys on the next one. Awesome, Jack. And let me just say one thing, mate. Keep up the great work. You're doing some awesome stuff, man. So uh, keep pushing forward with what you're doing. It's, it's really good for the industry. We love it. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, like game changes whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and you know and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary it unravels everything that i've been working with an athlete for yeah yeah another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the prepare like a pro live chat show here's an example with academy member rama davies the strength conditioning coach at the box hill box Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm -hmm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know it might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's you having a hard time um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um, yeah. so that's that's been huge 
Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.